I want you to take a moment in your mind's eye and picture the strongest Christian you have known. Picture a person that they weren't perfect, but they were a great person for you to emulate. Someone whose example it would be great for you to follow. Follow their example. And once you've got that person in your mind, for some of you it might be really easy because you know someone in your life that, that fit that role. I want you to imagine that person having some major doubts or facing a crisis of faith. Because that's what we see happen here in Matthew 11. We see a strong believer wrestling with a very major doubt. In fact, this believer is one that Jesus refers to as one of the strongest Christians. And it might be that in your mind, that doesn't compute. And I kind of want to tear down that false idea and put something new in its place. So Matthew chapter 11 and verse 1 says this. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. Now what's happened in chapter 10 that he is kind of transitioning from in the beginning of chapter 11 is that Jesus has sent his disciples in groups of two to go out and preach the message of the gospel in these different cities and towns. He sent them two by two and he's told them not to take an extra coat. He's told them not to take any money, but that he is going to meet their needs in the places that they go. He's giving them an opportunity to test their faith. He's giving them an opportunity to begin to practice the, the, the calling that God was going to have on their lives as they started the church and they carried the message of the gospel to the regions beyond. And so he's giving them this opportunity, sending them on this mission trip. And after he sends them, then he begins to teach where he is at. Verse 2. And when John, this is John the Baptist, had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? John is in prison, and the reason that John is in prison is because he's been preaching the message faithfully, no matter who it might offend. And he's preached the message faithfully to the point that someone named Herod has been convicted and upset, and so he takes John and throws him into prison because of the things that he has said. And so John is in prison, and he is getting reports of Jesus' activities and the activities of the disciples from his disciples, people who are bringing him news Instead, instead of seeing Jesus' ministry with his own eyes, he's having to rely on these witnesses. And here, John has a little bit of a, a crisis. Because he's on, he's on mission. He's doing what he's supposed to. He's obeying the commands of the Lord. It puts him in a difficult situation. And he probably is hoping that this is going to lead to Jesus coming and rescuing him. But the reports that he's hearing don't seem to be headed in that direction. And so Jesus receives these two disciples, these disciples of John the Baptist, and they have this question, are you the one or do we wait for another? I want you to look at what Jesus says to them. And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. 
The blind see and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. So he says, look, go back and tell John what you're seeing. Tell John what is happening here. Tell him that these things are taking place. And as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John. So now Jesus is done answering them, and he turns back to the people he was teaching when those disciples arrived, and he tells them, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A rod shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. He's saying they're not out in the wilderness like John was. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face. He will go before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, that there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. Jesus says John is the greatest among men. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And before we get to the, the, the thrust of, of this text and my message, I want to point out this little aside that Jesus makes. Jesus is saying that John the Baptist is the greatest born of women. In other words, he's saying John is the strongest in the kingdom. He is the greatest that has put his faith in me. And he's talking about how even when he was out in the wilderness, that John was not a reed shaken by the wind. He was incredibly stable and steady. He had preached faithfully. Nothing had caused him to waver. But he who is least in the kingdom is stronger than he. And what Jesus points to here is this beautiful principle in the kingdom of God. That even if you aren't the strongest in the kingdom, even if you haven't been walking with Jesus, even if you have been like a reed that is shaken by the wind, even if you are one that has been caught up in a life of wickedness, if you come to Christ, you are like those who are strongest in the kingdom. And that is a beautiful thing. That means that the Christian here, the person who has put their faith in Jesus, who has the least amount of training, who has the least amount of experience in, in, in the ways of God, who has been following Jesus the, the least amount of time, that they have equal standing before Jesus. Because of God's grace, they are forgiven. And they are seen as righteous. And it might be that you're here today... And your life has been an absolute mess. And you're seeking Jesus and you've come and you've put your trust in him. And he's starting to make this difference in your life. But you can see there is this major gap between your life and the life of believers who've been following Jesus for decades. Know that in Jesus' economy you are welcomed into the kingdom. And that we are all made righteous, not because of our own goodness, but because of the righteousness of Jesus. And when Jesus' righteousness is applied to all of us, that's what makes us acceptable. It's not that my goodness plus Jesus is what makes me acceptable. It's all Jesus. I mean, I mean think about it this way. Think about if you, you're in math class and you got a failing grade on the test. You got a 45. You flunked. And I got a 5 on the test. I got one answer right. That's it. I did one right thing. Everything else I got wrong. If the teacher gives everybody an A, everybody gets an A. And because Jesus has come to give us all righteousness, it doesn't matter if you were ahead of me. We were all failing before Jesus. And so there's this beautiful principle that Jesus states as an aside to the main thrust of what he's saying. 
So he's telling them, listen, John the Baptist was a strong Christian. He was a strong follower of the kingdom. Verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. That's what happened to John the Baptist. He was in prison. He would eventually be martyred. He would be executed. That's what's going to happen to Jesus. They have been taken by violence. Verse 13. For all the prophets of, and the law have prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, it is he, he is Elijah who is to come, who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so Jesus is talking about John, but then he changes and he says, let me talk to you about yourselves. Let me talk to you about this generation. Let me talk to you about this era, this cultural moment that we find ourselves in. He says in verse 16, but what to what, to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, we played the flute for you. And you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon or he's crazy. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a wine member, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. John the Baptist is sitting in prison. And he is hearing about the things that Jesus and his disciples are doing. And he has questions. And the question that he has is not like, hey, what day is the party? The question that he has is not what time is the upcoming worship service. The question that he has is a very major question. The question that he wants the disciples to ask him is, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Or do we wait for another? Now, in the Jewish tradition, there were, this, there were these lines of prophets. And a prophet would pass down to the next, to the next, to the next. And God was speaking to his prophets until one day they, the Messiah, the one they'd all been pointing toward, arrived. And John the Baptist was the final prophet in the line to say, here is the Messiah. And he had said, when Jesus arrived, he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He had told the people, this is the Messiah. But John has this doubt He has this question. He wonders, well, maybe the Messiah is still a couple of prophets away and Jesus is just another prophet in the chain. And so he sends his disciples, ask him, are you the one? And my discipleship group were reading um, through the harmony of the Gospels, the reading plan that we have back there on the back table. And we read this scripture reading last week. And it, it struck me Because here's John the Baptist, the one that Jesus refers to as the strongest. And when John the Baptist has a crisis of faith, he has to do what all of us need to do. He has to go to Jesus for truth. John the Baptist sends his disciples to ask Jesus. And what I've been begging you to do throughout this sermon series is to win the day. To start your day by seeking truth from Jesus. To start your day by going to God's word and spending time with God before you go to any other source of information. Because I believe how you start your day will impact how you spend your day. And when John has this crisis, he has to go to Jesus to find the truth. That's what we have to do. And even strong Christians need to do this. 
I'm afraid that some of you have thought like, man, it's really good that Pastor Daniel is doing this sermon series so that all the people who are new to church or new to Jesus know how important it is to read the Bible because they need to learn this stuff. I've already learned it because I went to Sunday school when I was a child. I've already learned it because I've been a Christian for a long time. I don't need to do that, but they need to. John the Baptist was the strongest Christian. Jesus said there's been been no one like him. He is the prophet. And John the Baptist had to seek Jesus out for truth. Now there's a reason that John the Baptist is finding himself in this situation. He is finding himself in a crisis. He's finding himself in the midst of hard days where his circumstances are absolutely opposite of what he'd hoped. And hear me, whether you're a strong Christian or a new Christian, whether the days are good or the days are evil, whether the days are easier or the days are hard, we must seek Jesus for truth. We must seek him out. John the Baptist was not the kind of person to easily be blown off course or to easily be shaken, but he needs to ask Jesus this question. And I want you to think about what that means for doubt. Because I'm afraid that in our heads we have this idea that there are, there are doubters and there are believers. And if we've crossed this line into believing in Jesus, that means that we've left all of our doubts behind and we have no doubts. But what we see here is the very man who told us this is the Messiah, the very man who was the prophet, he is having doubts. When you read the Gospels, you see that most of the time that it's referring to doubters, it's referring to believers. It's not referring to people before they come to faith, it's it's referring to people who are following Jesus in faith, yet are struggling with doubt. There is only one occasion in the Gospels where doubt is in reference to people who have not made the decision to follow Jesus. It's in John chapter 10, verses 24 and 26. It says, The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. That sounds very similar to the question that John the Baptist's disciples asked Jesus. But Jesus responds to these people very differently than he did John the Baptist's disciples. Here, Jesus answered them, I told you, that, and I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. Jesus answers the question of John the Baptist, but he does not even attempt to provide prove or convince these people who have chosen not to believe. I want you to see that Jesus aids believers in overcoming their doubts, but he does not suffer the doubts of those who refuse to believe. Let me say that again. Jesus aids believers in overcoming their doubts, but he does not suffer the doubts of those who refuse to believe. And so in the context of Jesus helping us overcome our doubts, it's believers that he's helping overcome doubt. So if that's the case, it means it's not that doubts are things that we had before we became followers of Jesus. Doubts are things that we continue to go through and struggle with and process while we follow Jesus. Even the strongest among us. The people often ask Jesus for a sign, and Jesus did none for them. He would say, this generation seeks a sign and it will get no sign. But John the Baptist comes asking. He sends the disciples, they come asking, what did Jesus say? Tell them that you've seen the blind see. Tell them that you've seen the lame walk. 
Tell them that you have seen the dead raised to life again. Tell them that you have seen the gospel preached to the poor. Tell John all these things you have seen. For those that believed and were overcoming doubt, Jesus was quick to point to signs that would alleviate their doubts. So please, hear me. Don't think that strong believers don't have doubts. John the Baptist had doubt and confusion. And Jesus' own disciples were constantly perplexed. So the application for us here is that we should respond to our doubts just like John responded to his. Seek truth from Jesus. When we face doubts, when we face confusion, we must run to Jesus. I want you to imagine what it must have been like for John the Baptist. John the Baptist had done everything he was supposed to do. John the Baptist was not in the predicament that he was in because he made a mistake. John the Baptist was in the predicament he was in because he had done the right thing. Because he had preached the truth, no matter who it offended, he had ended up in prison. Now, I imagine that when he got put in prison, he was saying, okay, well, it's not a big deal. Jesus is coming to establish his kingdom. He's going to start taking ground. He's going to start taking the region. He's eventually going to get close enough to me that he's going to take this town where I'm being held captive. And then Jesus is going to free me from my circumstances. Jesus is going to come and everything is going to be great. I mean, that sounds like a gospel message we would preach, right? Like Jesus comes in your life. Everything is amazing. But that's not the gospel message. The gospel message isn't that Jesus arrives and everything is amazing. So John is sitting in jail. And he's getting reports of what Jesus and the disciples are doing. And this latest report is that Jesus has sent his disciples into the regions and they're not carrying swords. They're not even carrying money. They don't even have an extra coat. They're not coming into these places in power. They're coming in great weakness. They're coming into these towns with nothing with them. They're coming only with the clothes on their back and a message to share. And John has been waiting for Jesus to slowly move toward him, but now it seems clear to him that's not going to happen. They aren't moving forward in earthly power, but they're moving forward in earthly weakness and destitution. They're not telling people how it's going to B, they're not telling people get in line. They're not raising up an army. Rather, they're going into these towns and depending upon the kindness of strangers to have a place to sleep and food to eat. If people don't like what they say, they're to shake the dust off of their feet and go to the next town. And this was not what John was expecting. It was definitely not what John was hoping for. John finds himself in some very difficult and frustrating circumstances And it doesn't look like Jesus is coming to his rescue. And so he says, what's going on, Jesus? Are you the one? Can I tell you that I can relate to John? Can I just be raw with you? I absolutely relate to John because this is not what I was expecting or hoping for this year. That this These past nine months have not been what I was hoping for, planning for, for 2020. I had my John the Baptist moment last week. 
For those of you who've been been here with us, you know that maybe three weeks ago, um, two weeks ago, whatever it was, um, I announced, hey, great news. We're going to start Wednesday night Bible study. We're going to start having groups again. Announced that, was excited, like things are coming back online. I remember Pastor Eric came in, we had our meeting, and he was like really excited for this, and we're going to hopefully the next step will be to add these things. And then like everything else that has happened in 2020, the world turned upside down once again, and coronavirus started to spread more rapidly here, and suddenly people were not comfortable. And so once again, I'm faced with a decision, I have to make this decision. And so I make a decision that I didn't want to make. Make a decision I, d- I didn't want to make. I have to inform people of a decision that I have to go back on. And so I sent out the email. Sent out the email. I think the subject line of that email was like, I just need to stop making plans. So prepared the email. Got it sent. Starting to study for my sermon. Um, I get a call from the kid's school. Haven has a headache. In today's world, if your child has a headache, you have to come get them immediately. So to stop what I'm doing, I'll go get my daughter, get her home, get her in bed. She's asleep. Okay, I can sit back down on my computer, get back to pre- preparing my sermon. Oh, I've got a response. Someone has responded to the email that I sent out about not being able to do Bible study, and that email was not encouraging. Now, I don't want you to think like, oh, Pastor Daniel got one bad email and he lost his mind. But it was like, you're familiar with the term, the the straw that broke the camel's back. The idea there is that there were already so many straws and that was just like one more straw. Just like one more complaint about a decision that I had to make that I did not want to make. And And I said to Jesus, what are we doing? Like, what's the plan here, Jesus? What is going on? You see, I had something in common with John the Baptist. I had let my expectations and my plans be influenced by the world and what's common or expected or normal. That's what happened to John the Baptist. John MacArthur says, John's confusion was because the works of Christ did not parallel with what people thought the Messiah would do. People all thought that when the Messiah came, first he would knock off the Romans, give Israel back her land, and provide an instant welfare state. That's why in John chapter 6, when he fed the multitude on the side of the hill, they tried to make him a king. They saw in Jesus health, wealth, and instant happiness and bliss. All wrongs made right. Everything would be as it ought to be immediately. John had become a victim of the thinking of his day. He became victimized by the thinking of the world around him. Why is John having these doubts is because Jesus was not lining up with what John expected. Recently read a book by Bob Goff, Dream Big, and in it he tells the story of Matt Emmons. Matt Emmons um, participated in the Olympics in 2004. He is winning, he's, pre- he's participating in that game where you have to ski and then you stop and you shoot a target. And he is ahead. All he has to do at the final stage is hit the target. He doesn't have to get a bullseye. Just hit the target anywhere, the black or the white, and he wins the gold. So he gets to the station. He's got 
Huge lead, takes his time, catches his breath, lines up, shoots, and he hits bullseye. But there's no elation, there's no clapping, there's no applause. Because though he had hit the bullseye, he hit the bullseye on the target in the next lane. He was aiming at the wrong target. Jesus hit the bullseye on his lane, what God called him to do, what he was sent as the son of man to do. It didn't match the target that John the Baptist thought he should be hitting. John the Baptist was looking at the wrong target. He was expecting the wrong things. And so Jesus says to John the Baptist's disciples, go back and tell him all the things that we are doing because we are doing exactly what God sent me here to do. And while this doesn't look like what I had expected and what God is doing right now is not what I expected, God has not missed the bullseye. And so in that moment when I said, Jesus, what are you doing? It wasn't a moment that I needed to get Jesus back on my lane. It was I needed to get back on Jesus' lane. And our world will constantly put our eyes on the wrong targets. Constantly push us to focus on the things that do not matter. Constantly push us to expect things that aren't on God's timeline. And what God does in his word is regularly bring us back to this is the true target. And I have never missed it. I hit the bullseye every time. Our world will constantly put our focus on the wrong things. And so I beg you to start your day with God's word so that you see the target that Jesus is shooting for because he never misses that one. I didn't expect us to have to do church in the gym in 2020, but that did not catch God off guard. I didn't expect any of this stuff that has happened, but that did not catch God off guard. This is not happening because God fell asleep at the switch. This isn't happening because God suddenly lost his ability to hit the target. We've just been looking at the wrong targets. And we need to seek truth from Jesus so that our eyes line up with the target that he is pointing toward. So Jesus answers these disciples of John the Baptist, and then he turns to the crowd. And Jesus says, what did you go out to see John the Baptist for? Did you go out to see a guy wearing soft raiment? No, people out in the wilderness don't wear soft raiment. People in king, in, in castles, in the palace, they wear soft raiment. What did you go out? Did you go to see John the Baptist eating sumptuously every day? No, people out in the wilderness don't eat fine foods. They eat Locusts and honey, they live off the lands. That's what John the Baptist did. That's who he was. And what did you say about him? You said he was crazy. And then Jesus paints this contrast between himself and John the Baptist. He says, he says, John the Baptist went out into the wilderness and he lived off the land. I came to your towns and your villages and I ate among you. You said John was crazy, that he had a demon in his head. You said that I was a drunken glutton. And then Jesus says, you know what you're like? You're like children in the marketplace who say, we have played the lute for you and you did not dance. We have sung the dirge for you and you did not weep. And this example that Jesus is giving, he's giving an example of children playing in the marketplace with their friends. And I don't know if you've seen children play recently. Most of the time they're looking at a screen, playing a video game or something like that. But when children play... They go outside and they play. They often play things that they see adults do. 
So they play house or they play store. Well, when the children gathered with their playmates, their friends in the marketplace, they did what they, they played, what they saw adults do. And there were two really main things that would bring a whole town or village together. A wedding or a funeral. A wedding would bring the whole town together. They would actually have a parade through the town at one point of the bride and groom. When someone died, they would bring the whole town together to remember and mourn this person. And so often when children would gather into the marketplace, most likely as they played with their friends, they would have played wedding and funeral. And Jesus says this generation, this cultural moment is like children in the market said, we tried to play funeral and you didn't want to play. We tried to play wedding and you didn't want to play. It doesn't matter what we do, you just don't want to play. Did you ever play with someone like that when you were a kid? Didn't matter what you did, they were not going to be happy. You change the roles for them, let them go first, let them be team captain. They were not going to be pleased. And what Jesus is saying is that this generation, it doesn't matter what we do, you will be unhappy. Because John the Baptist came eating nothing and you called him crazy. I came and ate with you and you said that I was a drunk and a glutton. Our world doesn't know what it wants. But it definitely knows how to complain when it doesn't get what it wants. And if we keep our eyes on the world, we will constantly see dissatisfaction. We will constantly see you didn't hit the target, you missed the mark. Jesus didn't worry about that. He focused on what his father called him to do. He didn't worry about what anybody expected of him. He focused on what his father called him to do. He didn't worry about what people wanted him to be. He was what God called him to be. And when Jesus was exactly who God called him to be, it didn't fit with people's expectations, even John the Baptist's. And so John had to have his vision realigned from what many people in the world thought Jesus was going to do to what God called Jesus to do. If we are guided by what this world thinks should be normal, should be expected, should happen, we will constantly be looking at a target that God is not even shooting at. That same book that Bob Goff wrote, he, he told the story of getting his motorcycle license. And... Bob Goff had been riding a motorcycle for a long time, but it was finally time to get his motorcycle's license. And because he knew there'd be a lot of other people riding motorcycles there, he wanted to look the part. And so he wore his best leathers with the tassels on it, and he borrowed his buddy's motorcycle, which was this big chopper. And so when he pulled up to the license branch, he looked really impressive. And to pass the motorcycle driving test, he had to weave through these cones and he had to go around in a circle and keep his tire on the white line of that circle. But on this big bad chopper that he had borrowed from his friend, it proved very difficult and he managed to hit every one of the cones and wasn't able to keep his tire on the white line. He looked good, but he flunked. So when the time had passed that he could take the motorcycle license test again, he borrowed another bike, but this time he went for one that was much easier to manage. And it didn't look as cool. It was a teal Vespa. 
And when he rode up, he didn't look very impressive, but it was a whole lot easier to weave through the cones and to stay on the line. And if we start our days by looking at social media and seeing what everybody else has to say, we start our days by watching the news to hear what everybody else has to say, to hear what is wrong with our world, to hear what is wrong with this, to hear what is wrong with that. We start our day listening to the complaints and the bickering and the fighting of this world, and we don't focus on Jesus. It's going to be very hard to walk the line of following Christ. But if we start our day with him and we keep our eyes on the true target, even if we look as silly as an old man on a teal Vespa, we'll be able to follow the line of Jesus' calling. That's why I'm asking you to win the day so that our eyes are on the right 